You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show. The voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. It is Wednesday, February 22nd, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode 893, and coming up on today's show, my guest is John Spider Sally, the four-time NBA champion. I interviewed him at the International Cannabis Business Conference on Friday, and we talked about marijuana and the NBA. In our Cannabis Focus today, we'll take a look at merging Oregon's medical and recreational programs. It looks like they've come up with a plan to do so. In Drug War Data Mining, we've got some more projections on how marijuana jobs could overtake manufacturing jobs in America. And in the Radical Rant, I'll give you my tips and tricks on how to be an activist. Then stay tuned for Hour 2. We'll talk about nukes in weed, a serial pot robber, and a concussion study. But first, let's get to the Cannabis Headline News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Wednesday, February 22, 2017. Chronic pain may be added to the list of ailments that qualify for medical marijuana treatment in New Jersey, according to the chairman of a health department advisory panel that took emotional testimony from patients Wednesday in a crowded meeting room at the War Memorial. The panel will decide in the coming months whether to recommend that the health commissioner expand the list, which now has about a dozen ailments, including terminal cancer, multiple sclerosis, and epilepsy. Wednesday's two-hour hearing was the first time the panel held a public forum on whether to add conditions to the seven-year-old program. More than 20 patients testified, most after submitting detailed petitions with references to health studies and with their doctor's recommendations. The health department said it received 68 petitions last year and that these asked for about 20 new conditions to be considered, including lupus, autism, osteoarthritis, opioid addiction disorder, and various diseases. Texas veterans and activists gathered by the Vietnam Veterans Monument at the Texas State Capitol Wednesday to push for medical marijuana legislation. This is where the veterans launched their campaign, Operation Trapped, in 2015. The purpose of the operation is to gain grassroots support for marijuana as a safe treatment option for veterans. Post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injuries, and chronic pain are just a few of the service-related conditions veterans return home with that could be treated with marijuana. The veterans will discuss Senate Bill 269 and House Bill 2107, which are both proposals to allow doctors to recommend medical marijuana to veterans with serious illnesses. Another letter will also be sent to Governor Greg Abbott, asking him to meet with veterans who have benefited from medical marijuana as treatment. Texans for Responsible Marijuana Policy sent a letter to Abbott last year, but his office never indicated if they would be willing to meet with the veterans. More than 1,400 veterans have signed the letter. A South Carolina House panel on Tuesday advanced a bill that seeks to legalize the use of marijuana for medicinal purposes over the objections of the state's top cop and other law enforcement representatives. The hearing, which was contentious at times, lasted for more than three hours, with the majority of speakers advocating for the legislation. 
more than a dozen speakers addressed the panel. The bills call for allowing those with debilitating or chronic diseases to buy up to two ounces of marijuana from a licensed dispensary if physicians certify in writing that their patients could benefit from the medical use of marijuana. State Law Enforcement Division Chief Mark Keel, however, opposed the bill. He cautioned about the difficulty of controlling marijuana once it's in the hands of a user who had it prescribed. South Carolina legalized the use of cannabidiol oil, a non-psychoactive cannabis medicine, in 2014. The trend line for Oregon's marijuana tax revenue gains is starting to look like one of the state's many mountains. First it went up, then it plummeted down. Marijuana tax revenue in Oregon continued a steady decline from last year, a marked departure from the strong upward trend that defined the early months of tax collection of the state's legal pot industry. Buffeted by reportedly strained supplies, the amount of money flowing into the state has tumbled consistently month over month since a high last October of $7.83 million, with January's figure falling more than $2.5 million short of that number. On Tuesday, the state reported $5.26 million in tax payments for the first month of the year. January tax collection figures released by the Oregon Department of Revenue were off a few hundred thousand dollars from last December and more than $1 million from November. Marijuana growers in Washington want to take another step toward joining mainstream agriculture, though their presence may raise questions about taxes and labor law. Cannabis advocates are championing legislation to insert marijuana into the state's right-to-farm law. The law bars new neighbors from claiming dust, odors, and noise from an existing farm's lawful operations are a nuisance. Washington's right-to-farm law specifically excludes marijuana. The House Agriculture Committee recently voted 11-4 to to reverse that policy. As passed by the Agriculture Committee, the bill makes it clear that marijuana growers would continue to pay business and occupation taxes. More controversially, the democratically-led committee excluded marijuana growers from the state's farm labor law. That law exempts farms from having to pay for overtime. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Wednesday, February 22, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belleville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Young people from all walks of life have volunteered to take part in a frightening experiment. Next. For a short time each day, they are allowing their brains to be altered. Altered to the degree that paranoia has been induced. Altered to cause loss of motor functions. Altered to have adverse effects on reproductive organs. Altered to produce heart malfunction and destruction of brain cells to the point of memory loss. And acceleration of the aging process. The most frightening part of this experiment is that it is not an experiment. It's what slowly happens to you when you keep smoking pot. No one has to alter your brain. You've already volunteered to do it to yourself. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRust.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. 
The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we want to take a look at my home state of Oregon, where lawmakers and stakeholders are currently working on plans to merge the medical and recreational programs. This, of course, has been a disaster in Washington state, so stakeholders here in Oregon are very keen on making sure we do it the right way here. And according to a report from the Portland Tribune, representatives from the marijuana industry, the patient advocates, and state regulators have all agreed on a plan for consolidation of the recreational and medical marijuana regulations to be held under the uh, auspices of the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. So as we uh, take a look at this, uh, Rob Patridge, the chairman of the Liquor Control Commission, said, quote, I think Oregonians like to take care of each other as best they can, and I think the system we have proposed today will allow them to do that, end quote. Now, the situation that we have here in Oregon is that the Oregon Health Authority uh, has been in charge of the medical marijuana program since it first began. And uh, this was 1998, the uh, Oregon Medical Marijuana Act. And when that act was uh, passed, the Oregon Health Authority was given the uh, authority to take care of those uh, uh, regulations. So for the longest time, We've had a system of growers and a system of uh, of patients and caregivers who were all involved in this industry in somewhat of an ad hoc or you might say a, uh, I guess maybe a, 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 a unregulated uh, free market uh, laissez-faire kind of system. So the uh, the problem that's occurred is since we've got this medical marijuana passed in 1998. Uh, The patients and the caregivers kind of took care of themselves in that ad hoc fashion until 2013 when we finally got regulation of dispensaries. Now, dispensaries had popped up since about 2008, 2009, but they were all unregulated and uh, very much uh, uh, contravening the medical marijuana law. In 2013, the legislature recognized the need for those dispensaries and got around to cooking up some regulations for them. But of course, the very next year in Oregon, we passed Measure 91, and regulation of that program was given to the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. And in that system, they came up with a very strict set of regulations and testing and licensing requirements. What came to be the problem then is that you had one system of production and retail based on nonprofit growers who were depending on being able to sell their excess medicine to those dispensaries after they had already taken care of their patients. And you had running alongside that a completely separate system of production and retail where the entrepreneurs there had to go through major hoops as far as inspections and licensing and security and record keeping and so forth. And both sides felt a little bit slighted. The folks on the recreational side were upset at the idea that there were these growers who could be making a whole bunch of money and not having to pay the same taxes and security expenses and licensing fees as they did. On the other hand, you had a whole bunch of the medical side that were upset that their little cottage industry was being upset by all of these money-making entrepreneurs when their actions were really built on a more altruistic basis 
and were just using the sales of marijuana to keep themselves afloat. So it was kind of an untenable situation in that you'd have entrepreneurs on the rec side trying to cheat on the medical side, or you'd have the producers on the medical side deciding to go for the profits and switch over to the recreational side, leaving their patients in the lurch. So people within both of these, with all these industries, the growers, the medical and rec side both, and the lawmakers and the regulators started discussing how we might merge these two programs together, just have one state agency regulating all growers, mandating all the testing and so forth. So the legislature's Joint Committee on Marijuana Regulation put together a 15-member work group to put together a restructuring plan. And now they've come out with some of their recommendations that they believe will be the uh, blueprint for going forward. Under the current agreement, the Liquor Commission, and again, this is from uh, Portland Tribune, the Liquor Commission would regulate marijuana with its existing five-member commission, adding two additional non-voting members one from the alcohol industry and one from the marijuana industry. The five commissioners, there'd be one from each of the congressional districts in the state, as it is currently. And the agency would add an alcohol advisory committee and a marijuana advisory committee. Now, there's currently a medical marijuana advisory committee, but it's a bit of a, of a toothless committee. It can make recommendations, but there's nothing to force the legislature to implement them. Uh, they also say there would be a medical board to be formed for the health authority that would advise the OLCC, and health authority would still be in charge of issuing medical marijuana cards. They would no longer handle regulation and inspections and all that kind of stuff, but they would still manage the confidential patient registry. Under this new agreement, the medical growers and processors could enter the recreational system without having to pay the $1,000 licensing fee and the $480 in annual fees. So long as these medical growers are giving away 75% of their pro product to medical patients, then they would be just charged a $200 fee to sell the remaining 25% of their inventory into the recreational market. Now, doing this, Waiving that fee for the medical growers is likely to cost about $9 million every two years. That, of course, is if all 9,000 of our current medical growers took that option. That's according to uh, Rob Patridge of the OLCC. Now, as far as the patients themselves, they'll still be able to grow their own cannabis, uh, and they still would be able to grow for other patients without having to follow any of the OLCC's regulatory processes. It's only the ones who want to grow a lot of medicine for a lot of patients and then sell excess into the OLCC system. They would be limited to only selling 25% of their excess. And on the other side of things, on the commercial grow side, there's going to be incentivization for the commercial growers to contribute to the medical side of the market. It says commercial growers would also be incentivized to contribute to the medical supply with a 10% increase in their allotted canopy grow size. That just means that uh, an existing recreational grower, if he wants to grow more, then he could, uh, he or she could uh, get a 10% increase in their canopy if they were contributing to the medical side of the market. So, once again, I think Oregon is doing a fantastic job 
on finding ways of regulating marijuana that can be the basis of a blueprint for all the other states. Every other state that has legalized marijuana is a state that has medical marijuana first. And they're all going to face this question of what to do to reconcile their medical and their recreational systems. Washington would be the example not to follow. Oregon would be the example we want to follow. We shall see how things work out in California, Nevada, Alaska, Massachusetts, and Maine with respect to organizing and reorganizing their systems out there. But again, I think Oregon is the place to look look at if you're really interested in doing this the right way. And it's a great example that shows how long-term activism, long-term advocacy, working with these legislators and being respectful and making compromises with them can lead to greater gains in the long run. Oregon's legislature is well-educated on these marijuana issues since medical marijuana in 1998 and the subsequent lobbying and education that marijuana advocates in this state have given to their state representatives over the years. So it always benefits you to keep moving forward. You never know where those gains are going to take you once the future unfolds. Unbelievable. All right, that sound means it's 20 after time for us to take our safety briefing. Sorry for the live viewers out there that I was uh, off for a second there. Had a little problem with the uh, mixing software. I know you, you couldn't hear me talking. That's <laughs> kind of a bummer, since that's what the show's about. Anyway, everything seems to be working now. We're back with Drug War Data Mining right after this. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. I don't drink, I don't smoke pot, but I drink and I smoke pot. And I will tell you that there is a huge difference between marijuana and alcohol. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. This is Radical Russ Belleville with a word about giving back. We're all very excited about the recent gains in marijuana reform. But while you may love the convenience of shopping for marijuana at a storefront, or are lucky enough to be profiting from the green rush... It's important that you remember that you wouldn't be where you are today without the sacrifices of cannabis freedom fighters who risked everything when zero states had marijuana legalization. Join, support, and donate to your local and national drug reform organizations, including the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, NORMAL, at normal.org, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, at ssdp.org, Marijuana Policy Project, at mpp.org, Americans for Safe Access at safeaccessnow.org, Drug Policy Alliance at drugpolicy.org, and Law Enforcement Action Partnership at leap.cc. This has been a public service announcement from the Russ Belleville Show. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. 
Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Data Mines, we take a look at an article in Forbes magazine entitled Marijuana Industry Projected to Create More Jobs Than Manufacturing by 2020. This is uh, based off a new report from New Frontier Data, and they say by 2020, the legal cannabis market will create more than a quarter million jobs. And they say this is more jobs than are being projected for manufacturing, for utilities, or even for government work. <laughs> this is according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, BLS says by 2024, manufacturing jobs will drop by 814,000. Utilities will drop by 47,000 and government jobs will drop by 383,000. Uh, the fastest growing industries, of course, uh, typically are considered to be uh, healthcare and information technology. Marijuana industry now is joining the ranks of those job creators. The legal cannabis market uh, is estimated to be worth about $7 billion uh, in 2016. The projections are for a growth, a compound annual growth of about 17%. In addition to that, medical marijuana sales are projected to grow from $4.7 billion in 2016 to $13.3 billion in 2020. The adult use sales are expected to go from $2.6 billion in 2016 to $11.2 billion by 2020. Now, these projections from New Frontier data are based on the markets that have already passed either medical or adult use marijuana. It does not include any additional states that might legalize by 2020. There are possibilities that will have Vermont and Rhode Island legalizing through their legislatures this year or next. There's the possibility that we see uh, legalization happening in 2018 through the MI Legalize campaign. And medical marijuana is being talked about now in 17 states. There are 17 states that currently have some sort of bill being discussed or have already been entered that have to do with the legalization of medical marijuana. Now, there's currently 28 states that have some form of legalized medical marijuana and, and eight states that have legal adult use marijuana. Now, the... Uh, the New Frontier data is also uh, reporting that there should be a projected total market sales in marijuana of $24 billion by 2025, five years later than the other projection, and the possibility of 300,000 jobs by 2020, over that quarter million. Uh, this analysis comes from the uh, data for the Marijuana Policy Project, as well as, well as Marijuana Business Daily. Marijuana Business Daily says the industry currently is employing 100,000 to 150,000 workers with about 90,000 of those jobs in direct plant touching companies. That would be uh, growers, processors, and retailers. Oaksterdam University also uh, has been uh, training people for the marijuana industry and uh, their chancellor, Dale Sky Jones says, quote, the cannabis job market is growing, but many who are interested in the industry have been fearful of prosecution by the DEA, but that is changing. A U.S. appeals court recently decided unanimously that the federal government may not prosecute people who grow and distribute marijuana or medical marijuana if they comply with state laws. 
While this ruling currently affects states within the Ninth Circuit, that would be the Western states, the decision will influence other circuits across the country. This is huge, and it is very likely that more people will now feel safer about entering the cannabis industry. End quote. That's from Dale Sky Jones at Oaksterdam again. Now, when it comes to this, uh, these projections by New Frontier, I, I, I'm, I'm really excited about them uh, on the job creation side. The part of the projections I worry about are these projections about the possible income both the the gross sales of marijuana and the tax revenue that will be reported to the states. As we reported in uh, the Cannabis Headline News, Oregon's tax revenue has been dropping as of late. This is owed to production uh, issues as far as uh, a new testing uh, requirements that came online that couldn't be immediately met. And that is leading many people in Oregon to return to either their medical markets or their unregulated illicit markets to get their marijuana. Also, the price of marijuana continues to fall here in the Pacific Northwest. And these tax arguments, these tax projections that are being made, sometimes I think they're relying on the, on the idea that this price of marijuana is going to stay somewhat static. And that, I believe, is a big mistake. It's easy to make these tax revenue arguments when you're talking about a 10 or a 20% tax on a $300 ounce. 30 to 60 bucks an ounce is a pretty decent tax return. But as more production comes online, especially as California production comes online, and especially by 2023, when California gives the green light to unlimited-sized commercial farming, we are going to see the marijuana prices drop. We're going to see prices of marijuana getting down to 50, 30, maybe even $20 an ounce. Trying to make that sale on the 10 to 20% marijuana tax on the $50 ounce isn't as compelling. And we're going to reach a point at which the price of marijuana drops enough that it may just barely break even on its regulatory costs or maybe even exceed them. When that starts to happen, we'll see our opponents questioning the economic wisdom of marijuana legalization. So I applaud New Frontier for these economic arguments, for these economic projections. But remember, economics only takes you so far. We need to legalize marijuana because it's wrong to keep it prohibited. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk high on sports with four-time NBA champion John spider Sally. right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Uh, Americans have increasingly come to the conclusion that the drug war is a failed policy. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. 
These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Hey, man. Am I driving okay? A public service message from the Rust Belleville Show. Marijuana has long been defined as a banned substance for athletes in almost every field of competition. But as emerging research continues to show the health benefits of cannabis over traditional sports medicine, more athletes are calling for cannabis tolerance in this edition of High on Sports. Welcome, everybody, to this impromptu live broadcast from the International Cannabis Business Conference here in San Francisco, California, ICBC San Francisco. And uh, I was just sitting here looking over at the uh, booth across from me, the folks out there at Freedom Leaf. And uh, who would come walking by but three-time NBA four time. champion? Four-time NBA champion. Oh, I remember why I messed that up. Four-time NBA champion, John Sally, one of two men to win three championships with three different teams. In three decades. Robert Ory being the other one, right? Right. Right on, man. Well, three different teams. I won in three decades and two millenniums. <laughs> you got it. You with got a bad, with, with <laughs> <laughs> never having any kind of cannabis, just Advil. Just Advil all that time. So Ad- it, that wasn't a thing back then in your day? No, it was the thing. I just didn't, I didn't do it. I found out. I was wondering why a lot of my teammates didn't hang out with me after playing. Right, right. Uh, it's because I obviously didn't partake in the – one, I didn't drink either. So yeah. uh, I didn't drink alcohol. So there was no reason for me to hang out. Well, I just like women. <laughs> well, with uh, uh, you know, cannabis and the association goes back – I mean, I recall back in the early 80s and uh, Kareem talking about it yeah. even. So uh, has this – has it always been something and it's just something you've become aware of recently? No, it's always been a thing. I remember when they would talk about people like Kareem would talk about cannabis and um, – People like uh, Robert Paris for the Celtics didn't talk about it, right, but right. then Chief. supposedly Chief, like you know, that's the nickname Chief. <laughs> that's a double meaning there. Yes, <laughs> and, and and I would hear things, um, but then I like my last month of playing, yeah. I tried, it. yeah, and um, and then I didn't do it again until I was forty-two, and then at forty-four I became more of a um, a smoker, yeah, and now I'm fifty-two and I'm advocating. Yeah. yeah, I've often said that uh, once you hit AARP age, you ought yeah. to get a medical marijuana card automatically. That's what I say. You hit fifty, man. It's <laughs> everything aches. Hey, somebody call that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make that happen. Uh, I've 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 spoken with some uh, former players in the NFL, former NBA players. And I always and some mixed martial artists as well. And I always bring up the fact that you know the leagues tend to frown on cannabis use. Seemingly as a moral issue, not as a performance-enhancing issue. But is there a performance-enhancing aspect as far as being able to recover or pain relief or even slowing down time? I'd imagine the NBA, that could be useful. Well, the first thing is let me explain. I, I, I to this day, think the steroid situation yeah. in baseball is a ridiculous fight. It's a ridiculous fight because what the steroids would be handed to you from a doctor if you wasn't a professional athlete to right. help you recover. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's supposed to be a miracle drug. But as an athlete, they don't want to help you recover. Yeah. So that's the first thing when we talk about steroids, which I didn't understand why there was even a concern. And then for people to concern themselves and say things about, well, this happens to your gonads and this that People don't care about athletes. <laughs> they can say they do. They yeah. don't. Yeah. So... 
when it comes down to the drugs, the drugs that we're administered over the counter, you may take one if you see a commercial because your back hurts. We take three every three in the morning and three before you play. So we're at six to seven of those. Yeah. So, Matt, and that's to perform because we get paid to perform. Yeah. Not win, not lose, perform. So if you want professional athletes to perform because that's their job, whatever it takes for them to perform is necessary. Mm -hmm. But if you want them to perform and continue to perform and give you the highest form of their performance, <laughs> the highest form of their performance, then what you should do is figure out how to do it naturally. And that's when I realized that this kind of cannabis was a natural way of doing it. It always strikes me as odd that we don't seem to have a problem with artificial mechanical fixes for sports, be it, you know, Tommy John surgery for pitchers or the batting armor that they wear. Or which whatever. makes them better. Yeah, which makes them better. But a chemical fix, we don't, we frown on that. We see it's a, a natural fix. They do like the chemical fix. They'll, they'll let you take Vicodin yeah. and, and they'll let you get hooked on, on pharmaceuticals. But they don't want you if you're not hooked. If they don't have an angle to play against you, they they don't want you. When you're self-sufficient and critical thinking in any part of industry in America, sure. they don't want critical thinkers. George Carlin once said, right. uh, we want them smart enough to run the machines, dumb enough to accept their lot in life. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, what's your angle on this being here at ICBC? I, I understood you invested in the cannabis uh, Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a shareholder in Canopy uh, Canada. And my daughter and I started our own um, line. So it's the John Sally. It's called Deuces. My number is 22. Sure. Uh, we're released March 15th throughout the country. Right now we have 54 dispensaries. And uh, we just met with a distributor that can get me into over 100 or 500 dispensaries. I need to be in every dispensary. I told them, they said, who do you want to be? I said, I want to be as recognizable as Coca-Cola, but the business sense a Pepsi Cola. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Maybe some Ben and Jerry's ethics. Some, some, you know, give back to the community. More than that. Yeah. It's more than giving back to the community. It's literally making a community. Because I didn't take anything from the community. So giving back to them would be if I took something from them. Uh -huh. I'm enhancing the community. And this is what they need to realize. The liquor store on the corner does not enhance your community. Mm -hmm. The 7-11, uh, the, the, the Taco Bell, the Subway, all these fast food joints, which cause us to take menial paying jobs, demeaning jobs, because people go in there and treat you like garbage. Food that's not really good for you to is literally killing your community. This is different. Everybody in this business, you could live in a neighborhood and work in a neighborhood, and somebody, you can steal. There's no reason to steal from a dispensary. There's everything is almost free anyway. Yeah. So it trains the community different. We don't have to steal from one another. We don't have to over we don't have to kick the situations out like he's trying to steal from me, he's trying to no. Everybody will look out for you. It gives you a better feeling. Yeah. People rob liquor stores because they're angry, they got liquid courage. They also rob dispensaries, but they get caught because they move slow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something our, our opponents, uh, uh, opponents of marijuana legalization bring up is they'll say, well, you know, it's, it's going to be like big tobacco. It's going to be like big alcohol. They're going to prey on minority communities. They have a, a liquor store in every corner. It's going to be a right. pot shop in every corner. And I always say, I'd rather have a pot shop on the corner than a dealer. Yeah. You know, the pot shop's not going to shoot it out over a dispute. He's not. And he, and, and, and no one's going to say, get off my corner. I, <laughs> 
It's brick and mortar. And I got a license. Yeah. <laughs> and it, that's another thing. If we can show, I, I'm part of the things I'm going to speak about today, but we give it, you know, to you fresh. Thank you. Is there's close to 400 to 600,000 black men and women in jail because of their dealings in marijuana, which they want to say narcotics. We don't say that. Dealing in marijuana. And when, in some states, when they get out, because of their record, they won't be able to work in this industry, which is now going like wildfire. Yep. And that's a shame. That's the same that the pioneers who got all the arrows won't get any of the feast. Mm-hmm. So I have to figure out a way. As Jay Z said, uh, I'm getting the record labels back for what they did to the Cold Crush. Meaning the reason I'm making this money and changing this is because we have been destroyed. So early and i'm gonna figure out a way to employ certain people yeah especially if they've spent time in the prison system in america that's great news to hear and it, and it, it reaches so deeply beyond even economics i always point out the case that uh in florida 21 grams of cannabis is a felony you get a felony in florida you lose your right to vote for life right uh, who gets busted the most for cannabis african-americans that's right this has led to a situation in florida where one out of five black men of voting age cannot vote in that state had they been able to vote we'd have had a president gore and probably another president clinton if they were allowed to vote um president obama would have been reelected. we would have changed the rules <laughs> we repealed the 22nd amendment yeah, the yeah. rules would have been wonderful yeah yeah Hey, man, I appreciate Thank you so it. much, John Sally, for stopping by here. Uh, you're speaking later today with uh, Steve Bloom, like 4.30, I believe, right? Right. Fantastic. Yeah, that's why I had to get to you first, give you on the down stop. That's right. Thanks for joining us here, and uh, we'll be back at 3 o'clock live here on the Russ Belleville Show. Peace out, everybody, and we'll see you at the after party. Yes. Right on. This is John Sally recorded at the International Cannabis Business Conference. Uh, it was great to get to talk to him. I've been a big fan of his uh, from since his playing days. Uh, really enjoyed getting a chance to meet one of my idols. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll have time for a radical rant. I'm going to teach you how to be an activist when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. According to the U.S. atomic clock, we are one minute away from legal marijuana in Washington State. (laughs) 
All right, all, all my friends out there in the chat room, thank you so much for being a part of this show. I wouldn't be here in Seattle for this history-making event if it wasn't for you and all of the donations and all the sponsorships and all the support and telling all your friends, thank you so much. Uh, this is a dream come true. I can't believe this is my job, and it's the best job. 30 seconds! 30 seconds! All right, folks. Are we ready for legalization out there? I think we're ready for legalization. We are just about ready. All right, 15 seconds to go. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belleville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Every cigarette is doing you damage. Every time you inhale, tobacco smoke condenses in your lungs to form tar. This is a healthy lung. And this is the amount of tar a pack-a-day smoker breathes in every year. Every cigarette is doing you damage. Authorized by the Australian Government, Canberra. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day, exclusively on RadicalRust.com. Total war against public enemy public number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for up to one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a cheat and charm show. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am here. That was the point. I think we made a mistake to legalize. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. In my dozen years of marijuana activist journalism, one of the questions I hear most often is, when do you think they're going to legalize marijuana in my state? And I always respond, that's the wrong question. When are you going to legalize marijuana in your state? If you're waiting for them to legalize, well, you're going to be in for a long wait. The way marijuana reform happens is when ordinary people like you stand up, band together, and organize for change. That means more than just logging onto Facebook and sharing information about cannabis and marijuana law reform with your friends. It's somewhat helpful from an educational standpoint, but it's not activism. Activism means you must act. At the personal level, that means getting yourself educated, and listening to this show is a great start. And it means writing and calling your elected officials on a regular basis. But to take things to the next activism level, you must join with others to engage in public meetings, rallies, protests, marches, festivals, conferences, polling, press conferences, initiatives, lobbying, and legislation. But which method of group activism is right for your state and your situation? What reforms in marijuana law are your voters ready to support? How do you achieve success with your activism? Well, here at the Russ Belleville Show, we've spoken with veteran activists all across the United States and asked them for advice on the basics of marijuana activism. From the forefront of cannabis acceptance in California to the front lines of marijuana prohibition in Texas, 
from modest city-level decriminalization in Missouri to revolutionary state-level legalization in Oregon, this is the advice your group needs to start reforming marijuana laws in your state. There are four elements involved in making social change. Activists, supporters, voters, and laws. So if legalization is your road trip destination, then your city or state is the car, the activists are the engine, your supporters are the fuel, the voters are the countryside, and the lawmakers and initiatives are your roads and freeways. And like an eight-cylinder engine is more powerful than a four-cylinder, your reform engine is more powerful with more activists. You most likely cannot do this alone. You'll need a reform group. To build that group, you need to hold public meetings. Now, we used to rent a hall to hold our monthly meetings with Portland Normal when I was executive director, until we asked around and found that a local bar was willing to open up early one Saturday of the month for free. They're more than happy to have a bunch of folks with the munchies coming in and spending money. And don't be worried if you have nothing to deliver at your first meeting. Use it to meet other like-minded people and ask what reforms they'd like to work on. Find out their personal reasons for wanting reform. Contact me, uh, Russ at RadicalRuss.com or RadicalRuss at gmail.com, and I can point you to all sorts of websites and information that you can get to hand out to the people at your meeting. Or you can reach out to national organizations like Normal, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, Americans for Safe Access, Law Enforcement Action Partnership, and ask them if they have a speaker that would like to talk at your meeting. Maybe you can even find a sympathetic city councilman or a state legislature, a legislator who'd like to appear for a Q&A session or a town hall. And then from these public meetings, you'll build this cadre of dedicated folks, a core group, who are ready to help you take your public activism to the next level with a rally, a protest, march, or a festival. Now, your group could be the Cadillac of activists, but without enough fuel of supporters, you're not going anywhere. Getting enough fuel for your activism push is accomplished through public events. You may have started your group, held some meetings, and have a great website or a Facebook page, but generally your supporters won't perceive you as real until they see your group has some organized public presence. Rallies are generally when people gather in one place to support something. Protests are a fixed gathering to oppose something. Marches are a moving example of either a rally or a protest, sometimes both. Festivals are day-long rallies that usually incorporate entertainment or vending. And I believe that if we didn't have the 10 years of Hempstock festivals and participation annually in the global cannabis marches and several strong medical and adult use activist groups here in Oregon, I don't think we would have had the support to bounce back from a losing campaign in 2012 to successfully tackle legalization in 2014 and off-year election. Now, generally speaking, you can gather on public property, like parks, without a permit, so long as you aren't putting up stages and loudspeakers. For a larger gathering with that kind of infrastructure, you may need to work with city officials to secure a permit. For marching, Usually you can traverse the sidewalks without permits, but once you take to the streets, permits are required. 
But don't be intimidated by the permitting process. You'll find that city officials are often very helpful and encouraging if you approach them with a professional and respectful demeanor. A great example of that would be out in Dallas-Fort Worth, where Sean McAllister is the executive director of DFW Normal. And I've watched him with a very open and honest dialogue with the Dallas and Fort Worth police departments. Now, they schedule two marches a year, one in, in May and one in October, one in Dallas, one in Fort Worth. And this is right in the heart of Prohibitionist Texas. But because the cops know that they're going to keep the streets clean, they don't create any mayhem, they don't cause any vandalism, and they abide by the law, they get a full police escort with thousands of people marching down the street, openly smoking pot without a single arrest. Of course, this is the point where it behooves you to have a lawyer as part of your activism engine. Your city officials and law enforcement may not like the content of your speech and may try to derail your activism. They may be banking on you not knowing your free speech rights, but they'll back down quickly once the magic lawyer word is uttered. It's also good to have your lawyer present to explain to participants how to assert their rights if police start making possession arrests. Also, while you can't dictate that everyone dress well and bring decent signs, you can strongly encourage it. Remember that any news media will focus on the most outrageous and counterculture images they can find to represent your event. So instead, make it your priority to find the journalists before and during your event and put your organization's best foot forward by giving them useful sound bites and newsworthy interviewees. Deliver a provocative statistic or a powerful anecdote and get it down to just six to 10 seconds. Have your most powerful and most sympathetic patients or conventional soccer moms or clean cut students ready to talk to reporters. Make sure to explain not just why your proposed reform is important to you, but why it is vitally necessary for everyone else too. I spoke with Tom Angel. He's the founder of Marijuana Majority and a senior political correspondent for Massroots. He's got more media connection and uh, published articles and published quotes than anyone I can think of. And he says, quote, look at it like you're just trying to help journalists do their jobs instead of trying to convince them to help you. They're looking for interesting stories. And if you have one to tell, they're likely to want to hear what you have to say, end quote. <clears throat> now, your activist engine could have a full tank of supporters behind it, but if you don't know which roads lead to your destination, you're just wasting gas. Focusing your organization on defining its goals can be facilitated through a reform conference. Such regional conferences are taking place in Missouri, Texas, Georgia, and Virginia through local normal chapters there. Activists from areas of the state that vary in support for reform gather to learn from each other and from national experts who are brought in to deliver informative presentations on reform successes elsewhere. Dan Veets, the executive director of Missouri Normal and a member of the National Normal Board, says, quote, University and college campuses are good locations for conferences, especially if there's a student group willing to sponsor them. Usually these venues are free to recognize student organizations. Progressive churches, like Unitarian Universalists, are also a good option, end quote. Never forget, however, that the reforms you and your supporters want aren't always the reforms your voters will approve. That's where polling comes into play. 
You may have the best engine and you might have a full tank. But if your destination is across an ocean of voters, your car is going to sink. You must have a destination where it's possible to reach and a vehicle that can get there. This is where the politics can be difficult. Your supporters will want to go further than what is possible. They may want legalization when only decrim is possible. They may want medical marijuana when only CBD oil has the votes needed to pass. And some of them may withhold support for lesser goals or may even split from your group altogether to follow greater goals. With polling, though, you can at least make the case that your goal is the achievable one. Polling is the GPS for your reform road trip. Serious supporters will respond to polling, and you can position your group as the sensible activists willing to accept reality and make reasonable compromises to achieve reform. Sometimes, the group that splits away from you provides a counterexample that makes you look even more professional by contrast. Now, most local polling on marijuana issues isn't done as a separate poll, but rather as a question or two included in more general polling already being conducted. Local polls are usually conducted by local pollsters, news stations, college and universities. Your group can usually pay to get your question or two inserted into their poll. When you have the results of your poll or other news to announce, that's when you're going to need to hold a press conference. While your public events have helped build your legitimacy to your supporters, becoming a recognized group in your local newspaper and on TV is what builds your legitimacy to the public, especially those undecided voters you need to win elections and those legislatures you need to help pass laws. But be careful of abusing the press conference or you'll lose the interest of the media. Tom Angel explains, quote, don't ask journalists to come out to a press conference unless you actually have some news to announce. Release a report with new data. Announce a surprising endorsement. Reveal a petition with an impressive number of signatures. Don't just stand up there and deliver talking points that everyone's heard before. That's not news. End quote. Well, now that you got your polling and you've built your support, it's time to start changing the laws. But where you live can make a big difference in how you do that. Statewide initiative petitions are how the first eight states have legalized marijuana. That power, however, is limited to just 24 states, mostly in the West. The remaining states rely solely on the power of legislators to make the laws. Initiatives can reach further on reform since they depend on the votes of the public, which is more strongly in support of marijuana than elected officials. But too often in the initiative states, activists will want to bite off statewide legalization as a first reform. In the eight states that have legalized, it took many smaller bites to get to legalization. They all went through local reforms, decriminalization, medical marijuana, and failed legalization attempts before succeeding at statewide legalization. On the local level, some states allow their cities and counties great latitude in regulating themselves. It's a concept called home rule, and it means that activists there can circulate petitions to change local ordinances. If you have this power, consider passing a reform for your locality before jumping up to the statewide level. With local successes behind you, you'll have more standing to build support and funding for your statewide gambit. Otherwise, if you're in a state without initiative power, you're going to have to pass the laws the old-fashioned way. That means through the legislators. That's where activist lobby days come into play. This is when you gather your activists on a particular day to visit with their representatives in person. 
And while the idea of meeting senators and representatives can be intimidating, remember that these are your public servants and their job is to listen to you. Sharon Raver, the founding executive director of Peachtree Normal and a regular at the Georgia State House, says, quote, the name of the game is networking, making relationships, and starting conversations, end quote. Sometimes lobby days will include an opportunity to present testimony in a hearing. Public comments are welcome, but you usually must show up before the hearing to register. Bring with you enough photocopies for all the members of the committee, but remember that your spoken testimony needs to stick to the basics of two to three minutes. Lobby days are best organized around a bill or an amendment that's going to be voted on soon. And just need to cultivate these relationships with your lawmakers and have them help you draft bills and you've got the process started. That's all the time I got for Hour 1. Thanks for joining us. Live listeners and viewers, stay tuned for Hour 2 coming up next. And for everyone here at Delta 9, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it.